Chapter Nineteen of the Outdoor Chums in the Big Woods. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Outdoor Chums in the Big Woods by Captain Quincy Allen. Chapter Nineteen, The Hour of Triumph. Bluff looked and then winked his eyes several times as though he feared they might be deceiving him. Still, that great reddish-brown bulk was there. He could now even see the massive horns that reared upward above the animal's head. No wonder Will had admitted he was staggered by the size of the bull moose. There never could have been such a big animal, Bluff was ready to believe, in all the history of game shot in Maine. He did not say a single word, though Jerry could hear a sharp hiss escape from Bluff's lips. The strong wind blowing directly in their faces, and from the moose, was greatly in their favor, so far as Bluff could understand. The animal either had not detected their presence, or was disdainful of the fact. He seemed to be doing something, for they could see his head uplifted, as though some low-hanging branch may have been the object of his attention, and he was engaged in stripping it of its still-clinging leaves. Now it happened that in the earlier stages of the woods' chase, Bluff and Jerry deliberately laid their plans looking to some such happy ending as had now come to pass. Bluff was to take aim first, but not to fire, until he knew his side-partner was prepared to shoot also in order that equal shares of the great honor that would attach to the killing of a giant moose should fall upon their heads it was agreed to fire at the same second jerry saw his chum slowly lifting his gun he knew that bluff wished to avoid making any quick movement as that was likely to catch the attention of the beast and cause him to start a speedy flight so jerry copied the example he too intended getting the stock of his rifle firmly planted against his shoulder so that he could take a quick but accurate aim then when bluff gave the signal which was to be a low whistle it was up to both boys to press their triggers they would never forget the sensations they experienced during that few seconds while bringing their guns to a level it seemed ages to jerry he even began to believe he must be seized with some species of nightmare and that a stupor prevented him from moving he was sure that the moose had glimpsed them indeed it seemed to jerry that the massive muzzle of the animal was pointed directly toward them as though he might be waiting to observe another slight move before springing away why did not bluff give that little whistle everything was set and ready for the finishing stroke Jerry began to wonder whether it might not be that Bluff was trembling so much with excitement that he had actually lost the power to pucker up his lips. And then it came. The crash that followed sounded like the discharge of one gun, both reports blending into a single roar. Enthusiasm seized both young sportsmen when they saw their victim floundering on the snow-covered ground. Hurrah! fairly shrieked Jerry, throwing all his enthusiasm into that single word. Bluff was meanwhile making his gun ready for further business. If this moose was as tough as people said, and rivaled the silver-tipped bear of the Rockies in clinging to life after receiving a multitude of wounds, he meant to be ready to give him another shot. Throw out the old shell quick! He's getting up again, Bluff hissed. This time he sank on one knee and secured a rest for his left elbow on the leg that was extended He believed that he could give a better account of himself when in that position 
now if the old bull moose insisted on struggling to his feet again he must be reached in a vital part there was no need of wasting any more ammunition although the boys not being experienced in this line of hunting did not know it positively oh bluff he's gone crashing down again gasped jerry yes and this time i guess it's for keeps added the other though hardly able to realize that after all they had accomplished the great feat visions of which had tempted them to follow the snow trail all these weary miles together they started on a mad run toward the spot eager to feast their eyes on the sight of that magnificent specimen lying there careful jerry he may be playing possum with us warned bluff who had been fed of late on so many remarkable stories concerning a moose's tenacity in holding on to life that he was ready to believe almost anything of this king of the big woods ah he's as dead as a doornail jerry told him and in proof of his assertion he strode up to the bulky carcass to push it with the toe of his shoe there was no movement and after that no one could believe that an atom of life remained in the body of the bull moose shake on that jerry said bluff as they stood over the body of their victim i want to congratulate you on the nervy way you did your part both bullets found their mark you can see i reckon either one would have wound him up so it's a fair divide yes the other ventured either one of us can say we killed him isn't he a monster though look at the horns bluff would you ever dream a moose could grow such busters in a single season i hope they haven't been injured by the fall remarked bluff bending down the better to examine the dead animal's head adornments the horns of a full-grown moose differ radically from the antlers of a buck deer being thick and massive rather than delicate and pronged the cow moose does not sport any adornments on her head and looks very much like a mule but there is no species of deer in the american forests that can come anywhere near the moose in size and power the elk possibly approaching closer than any other animal neither of the boys gave the slightest heed to the fact that it was commencing to snow again and for about the sixth time since they started out this is what they always say is the proudest moment in our lives bluff jerry was remarking seeming content to stand there leaning on his gun and staring down at the biggest wild animal either of them had ever taken a hand in bringing down if the grizzly bear of which they were recently talking might be accepted i wish will and his camera were here to get a picture of our first moose the biggest one that will be brought down in the whole state of maine this season like as not and bluff looked sad to think they might not have something to show as evidence when they wanted to back up the story they would tell about their moose hunt what are we going to do with him now we've got him asked jerry scratching his head all anybody cares for in an old moose like this bluff told him is the horns you couldn't get your teeth into his flesh no matter if you filed him to a point of course the indians keep the skin to make moccasins and shoes out of yes i knew that because i've had a pair of moccasins made of elk skin when it's tanned right it makes a tough article for footwear but suppose we did take the hide and horns how in the dickens would we ever get them to camp if we could make some sort of a sledge now bluff went on to say reflectively with our hatchet no matter how clumsy it was we could manage to draw home what we wanted if we left anything behind that was worth while we'd have to hang it up high i should think bluff 
You remember that we heard a wolf howling one night, even if we haven't come across any of them since. Bluff was trying to figure out what their program should be, while they had made all possible arrangements as to how to track the beast and the method of firing by volley so as to better encompass his fall. The boys had not dared go beyond that point. Jerry was afraid it would be too much like counting their chickens before they were hatched. And on his part, Bluff felt perfectly willing to let that part of the future take care of itself. I think that would be a good plan to follow, Jerry. And you deserve great credit for thinking of it, he remarked presently, which of course caused the other chum to feel more or less satisfaction. Who'll do the cutting up and who wants to make the sledge? asked Bluff after a little time had elapsed, and they felt that something should be gotten under way, looking to a move, for faster now was the snow falling, and it might be that the storm was about to break over their heads. "'I think you're more experienced about carving and taking pelts off than I am,' Jerry expostulated. "'To tell you the honest truth, I never removed a hide in all my life, although I've had sections of my own knocked off by a rattan at school many a time.' Possibly Bluff had more than half expected that the decision would result that way. To tell the truth, he was not much bothered, for he rather liked the task of taking the moose's tough hide off and severing his head so that it might be transported the easier to their far-distant lodge. Then that means, Jerry, you'll start in making a sledge, not a fancy one, but just serviceable enough to carry what we want over the snow, no matter how deep it gets. The last part of what Bluff said was no doubt inspired by the fact that the snow was now falling heavily. There could hardly be any question but that the long-anticipated storm had now arrived and seemed anxious to make up for lost time. I think I can manage, if there happens to be some decent wood handy to make the runners out of, Jerry told his comrade with conviction in his manner. How would these young second-growth ash slips do? asked the other. You can split one down, then bend it better. But I'm going to leave all that to you, Jerry. Do your best with your little hatchet. Remember, George Washington came by a lot of fame through his. Jerry turned to hurry over to the thicket of ash sprouts that had started up a year or so before, where a large tree had been cut down. He did not make three steps in that direction before he came to a sudden halt. Bluff, who had drawn his hunting knife, and with grim resolution was stooping over the moose, heard him give a low cry. Bluff, look what's bearing down on us, Jerry said weakly, as though some fresh disaster were looming above the horizon. It did not take Bluff long to discover what kind of trouble it was by which they were about to be faced. Moving figures could be seen. They were heading directly toward where the dead moose lay, as though the sound of their double shot had carried through the woods and drawn these others to the spot. Although indistinctly seen on account of the gathering gloom and the curtain of falling snowflakes that swept past on the fierce wind, there was no mistaking the tall figure of Bill Nackerson and the more sturdy ones of his two companion sportsmen. A sense of coming trouble immediately weighed on the minds of Bluff and Jerry as they awaited the coming of the men. End of chapter 19